Good morning, everyone. Uh, I hope it's not just me, but this has been a powerful morning so far, has it not? I feel like we could be done and go home, but I spent a good 20 minutes preparing for this, so I might as well give the sermon. Um, Hey, uh, there was kind of a a midweek change uh, to the plans, so nobody made a mistake on the bulletin. Scott was originally planning on speaking out of James. Um, However, I am not. So... Nobody made a mistake. Um, we're going to be out of uh, reading Psalm 107 today. I'm going through Psalm 107, so you could uh, start turning there. We're actually going to go through quite a bit of it, uh, the first 32 verses. I know 32 is a lot, but don't worry about it. Um, the psalm is, is uh, amazing. Uh, it starts off with a shout to God, how great he is for his goodness and his love that never fails. And then it goes through a pattern four different times of, uh, of us. It talks about the redeemed and uh, that the redeemed, us, used to not be redeemed, obviously. So it talks about us in our trouble. And then it talks about us crying out to God and him delivering us. It talks about him uh, blessing us and giving us what we need. And then it talks about the redeemed giving thanks to God. So we're going to go through this, and we're going to give thanks to God. Is that okay to do in church? You guys all right with that? Okay. That may involve um, saying amen or clapping or uh, doing a jig. I don't care what you do, but we're going to thank God. Okay? All right. Let's start. Verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. How incredible is a love that never ends. The goodness of God is beyond anything we can ever describe, and we will never understand the fullness of it. I'm convinced of that. We can spend eternity trying to figure it out, and I'm looking forward to doing that. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble, and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Now begins the pattern. Some of us wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Now this is poetry, so it doesn't say, um, hey, this was Mike, and uh, he had trouble with this. Um, So what's it talking about here? Consider in your mind, in your imagination, a place that you would call a desert wasteland. What are the feelings? What are you seeing in that place? It's a place with no path out, sand 360 degrees, nowhere to go, nowhere to sleep, nothing to eat, hopeless, homeless, wondering, searching, and never finding. Maybe some of you have been in that situation before. It's an awful place to be. Maybe you've been searching for truth. Maybe you've uh, been hurt in your life and you've wondered what your purpose was in life. Do I matter to anyone? And, and there's no road signs. There's nothing to, uh, to guide you into finding the answer. And it's a desert wasteland, a hopeless situation. Have you been there? No way out, nothing to lead you, no truth to be found. No lighthouse to guide a ship near a jagged shoreline. 
But look at the next verse. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. God made a way for us, did he not? And not just a way, but a straight way. I've been on some hiking trails before where you didn't know where that trail was. Sure, there were markers, maybe, but boy, you could so easily get lost. No, the way of God is a straight, clear path. He makes a straight way that once you find it, you are not worried about missing a turn. You're not worried about stepping off. No. You can fully trust that that path is God's path. That's a beautiful path. Look again. They reached a city to dwell in. That hopeless, homeless, searching feeling, over. Right? There's a home. To, there's, a, there's a city to dwell in. Needs are met. Bellies are full. Souls are satisfied. How good is our God? Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. For you have wandered, searched for something, never feeling settled, this is sweet to the soul. Is it not? Hallelujah. Praise God. Here's the next group, the second pattern. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death. Prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Can you see the picture on this one? No, because it's dark. Have you ever been in utter darkness? It is a scary, cold, alone place to be. In the Bible, the uh, the picture of God is always light. So darkness is as far away from God as you can get. Now, this is an awful place to be. It's, It's in chains. It's in prison. It's bound because of why? The why comes next. Rebellion. Rebellion against God. Actively denying him. But not just that, rebelling against his commands. Why would someone do that? I think we all know people who have done this in part or maybe in full. Maybe there's trauma or there's personal tragedy. Or something happens and you shake your fist at God and you say, you cannot be good. You cannot be a loving God. I refuse to believe in you. Have you been there? Do you know somebody that's been there? That is an awful place to be, is it not? It's a place of chains, it says. A life like that, rebelling against God, puts on hatred, puts on anger, puts on bitterness, and it's chain after chain after chain. Complete darkness, separated from light by their own doing. But, I like that part, by the way. But, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. 
He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Has anyone experienced the freedom of Christ? What a beautiful thing. Out of darkness and into light. And not just God found a key to unlock the chains. He rips them to shreds. Do you get that? If they're burst, they can no longer be put on. Not like that. It is an amazing, amazing thing that a good God and a loving God does for the redeemed. What a wonderful thing. A steadfast, eternal love of God. There are those who have denied God their whole life, actively rejected him, and yet on their deathbed, something switches and they can cry out to God. And in one moment, he reaches down and scoops them up. And they are his. No matter what happened through their life, no matter how strong the rebellion, no matter how much they actively rejected him, And he always, always delivers them from their distress. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. If you've experienced the freedom of God, praise him. Hallelujah. What a good God we have. Next group, some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Well, that doesn't sound enjoyable. When I think of fools, I think of someone who, uh, who thinks they don't need God, not necessarily denying him or rejecting him like we just talked about, but someone who doesn't think that it's necessary. Fools don't know they're fools. Have you ever noticed that? Fools live in a twisted world, and their mindset is twisted. The New Testament says that uh, they twist the truth of God into a lie. So they're living backwards. Maybe you've been there. And a foolish person lives backwards, and they would actually prefer the sin, and the consequences that come from it rather than the truth of Christ. It doesn't make sense to us now, does it? But it used to for some of us, didn't it? We preferred to just stay in our sin. And in fact, some of us are so, were so deep into it, we loathed food, it says. We were so foolish that we would even reject what we needed to live. Food and water, the life of Christ, that's how foolish this foolishness can be. And some of us lived in that. And that affliction from our iniquities can and does affect every part of our lives, spiritual, mental, even physical. I think you can tell somebody who is so steeped in sin for years and years, they have a look to them. But then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Do you see what heals the fool? His word. God's word is truth. 
And when the truth of God comes into our lives, it exposes the foolishness. And what was twisted before gets untwisted. And we see the beauty of the truth of Christ and the beauty of God's word and the beauty of life as God has planned for us. And when we can start living accordingly, the self-destruction stops and the healing comes. It's a beautiful thing. We get unfooled, if that's a word. Our eyes open to the destructive behaviors. Praise God, he delivers the fool from his foolishness. Amen? Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, and let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. Hallelujah. The last group, some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven, they went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Now, this one I think we can all kind of relate to. These are people just going about their lives, doing business, doing life, watching the Cavs, trying not to watch the Browns. Uh, it's, it's people that are just doing sports and hobbies and social life, and life is fine. Maybe they've even seen, maybe this is you, maybe you've even seen, you, you even saw Christians, or, or you knew of churches and people that were different and but you know what? It was never enough to really cause you to consider turning to God. And that's all well and good while life is going well. But then what does God do? He puts trials in our lives. And when a trial comes that is so severe, or they mount up one after the other, that we can't deal with it. Do you see the desperation? At their wit's end, they reeled about. They were like drunken men. They, they didn't know what to do. Maybe that was you. At your wit's end, the end of your rope, don't know how to cope with this. But, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet. And he brought them to their desired haven. Know anybody who can calm the sea? The, uh, the only one who's ever done that miracle is our God, our Redeemer. Look at it. It says it brought them to their desired haven. That means the haven that we thought we had, the rest, the meaning that we used to think that we had, was empty, was false. And the rest that we now have in God is actually what we wanted before and we didn't even know it. Isn't that amazing? Truly what a good and loving God we have. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. 
Anybody want to praise God right now for his goodness and his love? Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. It's wonderful. Now, don't think we're done early. As important as it is for the redeemed, together like we are today, to praise God for his goodness and love, it's not just for us. Do you see that? It's not just for us. This is not just so that the redeemed can feel all warm and gooey inside about what God has done for us. If when you read scripture, you only see what God did for you, then you're missing half of what's there. You're missing half of what's there. Look, look again at the beginning of the psalm. The Lord is good. His love endures forever. When did God's goodness and his love start for you? Was it after you were redeemed and cleaned up and made pretty? Oh, no. It was before you were created. His goodness and his love extends to all people, all time, all places, all ethnicities, all backgrounds, forever. This God is the God of all people, all time, whether they believe in him or not. This story, this good God and loving God is not just for us. God is actively pursuing people right now who are far from him like we used to be. Let's not forget that we used to be in this trouble that the psalm talks about. We used to be lost, and we used to be searching, and we used to be in chains. Did we not? We used to need the freedom and the forgiveness and the redemption that we now have. And there are millions and billions of people out there who still need it. Let's not forget that. The gospel does not stop with you. I would like you to see this psalm as an evangelistic tool. Can you see that? The most powerful tool you have is your story of what God has done in your life. I truly believe that. Your story is the way that you can relate to a hurting person and a person who is in need of God. People today are very experiential. Your story is your experience. Somebody, no, nobody can argue with your story. They may not like the implication of God, but they can't argue with your experience. What people need today is not for someone to preach a 35-minute sermon at them, like I'm doing right now to you. What people need who are hurting is someone to love them, is someone to relate to them, is someone to share hope when they think there is no hope, so that they know that they are not alone. They're not the only one. They're not too dirty. They're not too far gone. And there is hope personally for them. That's where your story comes in. About a year ago, I was reading through the Psalms for my, uh, my devotions. I read this Psalm. 
and I got through the praising part, and then it hit me. This is an evangelistic tool. How amazing is that? Our story is how we relate to people. Shortly after that, I had a conversation with uh, one of my employees at work. It went something like this. Me. Valued employee, how are you today? Valued employee. Mike, not good. Uh, you know I'm working on this transition to another group. I'm really struggling. Me. Really? What, well, what's going on? Valued employee. Um, it's really difficult. Nothing's working out. Uh, I've already given up the lease on my apartment. I don't know where I'm going to live if this doesn't happen. I'm having nightmares. I cannot sleep at night. I cannot deal with the stress and the anxiety. Me. Wow, that sounds awful. See you later. <laughs> no, I did that. I didn't realize it right away. I realized it about three weeks later. I sat down in the morning to read scripture before anybody else was up. And as I sat down, it hit me like a two-by-four to the face. I just did that. Three weeks ago, and I knew this, and I had totally missed it. And so I prayed to God for a second chance. And I've prayed that before, and rarely has it happened. But this time, it would be different. Not three hours later, I was at work. I was walking over to see Valued Employee. Because I had something to tell him. And he was on the phone. So I just walked by. I was doing something else uh, for a minute, and I heard him hang up the phone. So I went back over. And literally, Valued Employee has his head in his hands. And uh, me, being the extremely astute person I am, said, Are you okay? And him, looking up at me with tears running down his face at work, very profoundly said, no, I'm not. And I saw right then the hurt. Thankfully, God gave me a second chance. And I said, why don't you come into my office for a minute? So he gathered himself, and he came into my office. We shut the door, and I said, what's going on? And he began to tell me of the nightmares and the anxiety and the stress. And he said to me, I didn't even have to look for it. He said to me, Mike, how do you deal with stress and anxiety in your life? Two by four to the face. Do you see that? Silver platter. And I began to share the gospel with him. A gospel that's based on faith. And the importance in my life of when I go through stressful times of faith, even in those times, that the faith I have in God for my salvation, I can have faith in him for every aspect of my life, every stressful and anxious situation. And he said, Mike, I admire what you have, and I wish I could have it. And he began to tell me a story of when he was a teenager and his family used to go to church. And leadership in that church said some very awful and mean things about him and his family and turned him away. And I looked him in the eye and I said, what they said and they did was wrong. And I'm sorry for that. And I said, I'd like to pray for you. And he said, that would be great. And I said, I'd like to pray for you right now. And he said, what now? <laughs> and I said, yeah, I'd like to pray for you right now. And he said, okay, what do I do? 
And I said, well, you can just sit there. I'm just going to talk to God for a couple minutes. And he said, okay. (laughs) So I bowed my head, and I closed my eyes. And the first thing I prayed was a confession of the sin of those other people. And I confessed the sin of what they said and the hurt that it brought. I asked God's forgiveness for them so that healing could come. And then I asked God that he would supernaturally break into this young man's dreams. Now that was a big prayer. When you pray these prayers, you don't know if it's going to happen. Okay? But I prayed those prayers. Unfortunately, I prayed it out loud, so he heard me, so it was kind of on the line. But I prayed that God would take away the nightmares and that this young man would have peace when he went to bed and when he woke up in the morning. The next morning, he told me he had one minor dream and it was okay. And this was a daily occurrence for the last several weeks. He had peace like he had not felt before. I said, that's God. And he nodded. And I'd like to tell you that he gave his life to Christ, but he did not. But I can tell you I feel very confident that he moved a step closer. And he saw the love of God, I hope, through me. Now, folks, that's not a me story. I am so average, my shirt size is extra medium. Okay? (laughs) That is not a me story. That is a story of a God who is actively pursuing someone who needs him. Do you see that? And my story that could relate to him, that showed him love and hope, was what he needed right then. That's where this psalm comes in. We all have a story. We all have mess and trouble that we used to be in. In church, a lot of times, we get this uh, desired image uh, of being squeaky clean. Stop it. Stop. Do not be afraid or embarrassed of your story. Depression? It's okay. Addiction? Fine. Trouble in marriage? Okay. It's your story. It's the trouble that God brought you out of. Sometimes we think we just need to live differently. If I live my life differently and people know that I'm, I'm different and I'm a Christian, then they will fall on their knees and worship Jesus. Okay, has ever anyone seen that happen? Sometimes the redeemed need to say something. Let the redeemed say something. So my challenge to you is this. First, have your story ready. In fact, have multiple stories ready, as long as they're true and they're yours. Have multiple stories ready. You had a child go far from God, Have your story ready. Have you yourself wandered, living an empty, aimless life? Have your story ready. Marriage that nearly fell apart and was saved by the grace of God? Have your story ready. That is the best tool you have to relate to a dying world. So, have your story ready. 
Paul said in 1 Corinthians, to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. I became all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Secondly, listen for the hurt. In conversations that you have with the unsaved, listen for the hurt. Most people don't know that they're hurting. Most people don't know that they're lost or that they're in trouble. But if you're listening and you hear that someone knows they're in trouble, the good news is they're just one cry away. They cried to the Lord in their distress and he delivered them. They're that one cry away. Listen for the hurt. Be intentional about listening for the hurt. Don't miss opportunities. If you do, life goes on. Ask God to give you another one. He may or he may not. He may have somebody else lined up for that person. But be intentional about listening for the hurt. And that is where you get to dip into your bag of stories and be able to relate and love and share hope with people so they can know personally that a God who is good and who is loving interacts with humanity on a daily basis. They may not know the truth of that. But your story is powerful. Let the redeemed say something. Use your story to share hope. Use your story to share the goodness of God, a love that never ends, and the hope that you have here today. Let's pray. God, we want to live in your reality. You see people hurting. And God, I want to ask for chances this week for each person here to listen for the hurt, to share their story, to be able to share easily in their own words the love of God they've experienced. Lord, change us today. I thank you for the worship time, for communion, for your word, for your goodness, and for your love that never ends. Lord, I pray that you would bring in more hurting, lost, broken people that we can share this goodness and this love with. You're not done seeking people. And God, we want to be a part of that. I bless each person here with a listening ear this week that they may listen for your Spirit's guidance and for the hurt in someone's voice. In Jesus' name, amen.